Lucas Tigers and Bronze is brought to you by Hybrid Grading Approach. HGA is revolutionizing the industry by implementing software that will allow them to scan, analyze, and grade cards without subjectivity. This allows for consistent and unbiased grading. They have an easy submission process and best-in-class customer service. Their pricing model is simple. Pay by the day, not by the value of the card. And when they say 10 business days, they mean 10 business days. I mean, it's all gold. It's all gold. It's all gold. Guys, today's well, I've episode. I noticed everyone's really high on their prices. That I oh, noticed like guys have nice stuff. Let me let me give me thirty seconds. I'll kick it off, guys. <laughs> I can already tell you, Luca Nation. This is going to be an episode for the ages. So I'll, 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 right off the bat, if you have kids in the room, maybe ask them to go to sleep because this is going to be a R-rated or at least a PG-13 rated episode. But it's going to be a ton of love. Ton of I brought my so, aim and flame. Cage brought his aim and flame. We have Oahu. I'm gonna light some. Ah, my eyebrows! <laughs> this guy eyebrows hit. missing, bro. Your eyebrows go. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Go for it, man. I apologize. All right. So, who do we have here? We have Oahu Sports Card. This guy is a collector. If you guys go to his page, Oahu Sports Cards, you'll see he invests in Holland modern cards. He has Babe Ruth. He has football. He has basketball. He's one of the collectors in the game you want to learn from, and he has his buddy Joe with him, uh, who's actually at the Hofstra show as well. So this is a collector series. We're going to talk to people who are new in the hobby, who have been in the hobby for, for years, try to educate them, but not by telling them, do this or do that. You know, we always say we want to lead a fish to water, right? We want to teach them strategy so people can think for themselves. Dude, oh, fish are And by in the water. way. Fish, you don't lead a fish to water. The fish are already in water. <laughs> I think he meant horse, but. You lead the horse to water. I mean, you, can't make uh, a you know, the I thing is. There are some fish who don't really know that they're in the water. Yeah. So once you give them that we, information. We have him going sideways. It's lead a horse to water and teach a man to fish. But we know what you mean. We know what you mean, brother. Are amazing. <laughs> oh, and by the way. Oahu Sports Cards is a longtime friend, or what well, we might say ex-friend, of Ex. Vegas Dave. So we'll save that till the end. We'll talk all about that, the documentary or whatever, that mockumentary basically is coming out that later. But first off, guys, Sean, Joe, appreciate you joining the show. That's it. That's Lucky that. We're happy to have you. Listen, so here, we'll just jump right in. You guys, right. right before we started off, you told us, you know, collecting-wise, you jump from, like, show to show, right? You go from this show, you're sitting in Vegas as we talk right now. You were just in New York this past weekend. You're going to be going to Dallas, you know, after that. Is that is that, like, the way of doing business now? Is that your is that your business or this is just fun? Like, how, how do we find ourselves now going, the, uh, you know? Very yeah, niche. That's, yep. that's a very niche thing. The, the yep. big thing that I've seen from the shows, and this is probably a huge part of why I even bothered doing the shows, is I've noticed that when I go to this, like when I go to a show, if I sell something to an attendee of that show, that's great. But that's not even my expectation. I don't even care if that happens or not. I'm really there just to do business with all the other dealers that, you know, there's a lot of guys for whatever reasons, they don't really do too much business because they're maybe they're older or whatnot, but they don't do business through the mail uh, or through social media. And so when I go to the shows, I'm able to sit down with those guys, you know, say there's a lull in the show and they don't really have anybody at their booth. I'll be able to go over there and kind of find a bunch of stuff that I, you know, basically think that I can make money on, um, pick them up. And I've noticed, here's the big thing too. 
these shows typically the trends that you see the the cards that get hot the 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 players that people start investing in a lot of the time those things actually start off at these shows you've mm-hmm. got a bunch of dealers who talk um you know they agree with each other on this or that and then all of a sudden now those guys go out they buy those cards people see them posting about it and it kind of starts this like a like a mini rush on those types of cards but the bad thing about that too is when somebody doesn't have any knowledge about what's going on with the hobby their belief in it is paper thin and so you know guy has two bad games strikes out you know six times out of nine at bats all of a sudden now they get real jumpy start selling and yeah. it starts this downward spiral because he starts selling so this guy gets a cheap and then the thing just starts tumbling mm-hmm. and really back in the day that wouldn't happen people wouldn't literally treat their performance at a game like a stock ticker they wouldn't have a knee jerk reaction and that's to me the biggest change that's the hobby scene is that literally on a night by night basis things change and you saw that with Josh Allen the first two, I was I was guilty of that uh the Philly show, Philly show yeah. a few weeks September ago September 21st I on think. the Saturday the day before the week 3 game of the season I'm at the show and I've got this NT RP of Josh Allen that I bought from my friend Ricky at uh, Texas Sports Cars and Memorabilia yeah. I've got it in my hand I'm like man he looked really bad these first two weeks. I mean, they, they just don't look like they've got it. I'm like, can I, am I going to gamble with this 60 K and put it on the line and maybe it goes down 30, maybe it goes up 30. And I sold it to this guy, Al. And the next day, I mean, you guys know what happened week yep. three, he had like four passing touchdowns, one rushing, and they went on this mini heater. Now that card's probably worth a hundred G's. Um, but that's the part of the hobby nowadays that, I kind of don't really care for too much because now it's literally nightly changes in the market and it, and it, and it scares me because if I'm having issues with it, can you imagine the guy who just got into the hobby six months ago because his friend showed him a card and kind of piqued his interest and now he's getting into the hobby. I mean, you hear all these different people all with kind of like their own little agendas, you know, I mean, you guys know this, this term pump and dump. I mean, it's bad. Well, we, different so, perspectives, though, yeah. on everything. Could, could we take it back? I want to set the context because, I mean, we're going to talk about a variety of topics today. But but if we could take it back, uh, I want to hear from Sean and Joe maybe in like 60 seconds or, you know, what's your origin story? How did you find yourself in the hobby? It started when I was a kid. I mean, I was always that little kid. We used to have these uh, shows uh, put on by Kit Young in Hawaii. And so from when I was a little kid, I would just go to the stores, you know, buy packs, get the cards. And I would like literally hustle and sell them. And this is, are you a 90s kid or 2000s? I am 44. So if you back up the math, I was a little kid in the mid 80s. And I'm 25. I just turned 25. So when when I was hustling these cards, he was still, uh, you know, a little spermy, probably swimming (laughs) a testicle. But he probably got some information from his from his dad even at that point i mean it's it's crazy how like i started i literally uh just i got some cards from my dad i was like five or six years old i started going to these shows started going to walmart feeling the packs right you could you would be able to feel the relics you know if a card was a, if the pack was a little thinner that had an auto if it was a little thicker you know you'd have a, a patch card and then i would go and i put it on my mom's ebay like at eight or nine years old <laughs> eventually i got to be about 12 or 13 
and I didn't have a printer at home. I colored it in green crayon. I wrote $15 to mow your lawn, walked it up and down my block. I got one lady, took care of me the whole summer. Her name was Bonnie. The cars that I was buying was 2011 Tops Update Mike Trout cards between $10 wow. to $15 raw. That's all they were. And LeBron James Tops Chromes were only 60 65 bucks. That was a little too rich for my blood back then. So I used to have to get the OC ones that were only 40 bucks. <laughs> Crazy, right? Cars yeah. Have come and gone. It, it's gone like, I mean, it's gone off. The, I never would have thought. I mean, back in the day, I, I, I really put a lot of money into I didn't really know when I came back in, like in the early 2000s, like what I would want to buy. So I figured if I just buy the best cards of the best players in each in each sport, I couldn't go wrong. So I put a lot of money into Jordan. LeBron was a rookie back then. I bought a bunch of LeBrons. I bought Gretzky. I bought, I'm a Yankees fan, so I bought a bunch of mantles. And Gary. Mm -hmm. I was really lucky when I was young. I had a bunch of money from hustling this and that. And so... I had a run of pretty much PSA 7 and PSA 8, everything Yankee. So I had like a 51 Bowman, a 52 Tops, had the 33, 34, Babe Ruth, Gary. I mean, I had I had a lot. And that's kind sure, of what Can I ask me. you something? So why why did you – so if people don't remember, 2003, 2004, that time frame was when poker was becoming huge, right? It was World Series of Poker, uh, Chris Moneymaker won. Uh, that's and how we'll get into that. Cool was playing poker every day here in Vegas. And why did you choose, you know, okay, so here I'm playing poker, probably go to the sports book a little. Did you see that sports cards were kind of, you know, similar, but it's not, it's an opportunity, you know, it doesn't go to zero or a hundred. It's an investment, but using the knowledge you had. It was really not too popular back then, I guess, with the, with the general public. And so I, for myself, I saw it as a great way to park my money mm -hmm. and, and get crazy returns because of what I was buying. It was cool too. Yeah, it, I mean, I mean, how many things can you buy and invest in? That's also something that you enjoy. I mean, right. stocks, real estate. Yeah, they're great to make money, but if we can be honest, I mean, you can't hold your land. Stock what are you gonna boring. do? You're gonna hold your title to your to your property. I mean, you really can't do. It doesn't really interact with you and or your kids or your friends in a way that makes you happy or makes you want to invest in it more. Whereas cars, literally. I mean, like I said, we were playing Madden football. We're gambling. I was gambling three to five thousand dollar cards on a five minute quarter Madden game. You know, and were you, it was were you using Michael Vick? Were you using Michael Vick? I was never. Honest? So there's certain. I have certain things that I look for when I invest in in, in players, and there's certain things that are like red flags for me. Um, and it served me really well. I mean, um, now nowadays, actually, I have several. Uh, kind of wealthy uh, individuals that I, I do their their sports card portfolios for because nowadays if you buy the wrong thing you could literally lose six seven figures I mean you could really get screwed quickly and, yeah <laughs> so I have I have several guys actually so I don't know how it happened but they I guess they were following me on social media and I guess they would just kind of watch and see which players I was posting about and I had like a couple of guys who messaged me like hey man you know, I've been following you on, and it was kind of scary. Like, hey, I've been following you on social media for a couple of years and watching what you've been doing. Uh, and I guess they really enjoyed the picks that I made. And, you know, it's, we're going to talk about it more at the end, but like Mike Trout. So in, in 15, 16, 17, I was just all over it. I mean, I was buying as many Trouts as I could find. I just felt like good looking guy, you know, not, not pompous, not, not arrogant. 
you know, really, really good with kids and families. I mean, he's kind of the kind of guy you'd bring home to meet your family and everybody would like him. He's lived such with a nice his guy. parents his first couple of years in the league. And he's been yeah. with his girl since high school. And, and yeah, he's one of those guys. He's, he's you know? just so one of those everything. Those aligns. types of players are the kind of guys that I look for when I invest. Uh, they just have these certain qualities and they don't have any of those red flags because a player can be really, really good. But if he's like antisocial or an, or a prick, say Barry Bonds, a Rod, you know those kind of guys. I mean, they're arguably some of the best players, two of the best players in baseball, like top ten players, mm-hmm. top five players. You could argue as far as position players, but their stuff will never, ever, ever be valuable because of either how they acted or c- conducted themselves or the choices that they made, which, in hindsight, for them, they probably regret. You know, so it, it's scary. It, for me, the, the market has changed to a point where you really have to be very cognizant of what you're doing, what you're buying, how you're spending your money. And it's kind of stressful because every day that goes by, your portfolio can literally go up or down yeah. like playing penny stocks in the market. I love the character conversation. We talk about that on our show pretty often. I mean, you know, guys that I've invested in just, you know, during, during small flips, you know what I mean? Like Devonte Graham was one of my guys I talk about just as a basketball guy. And I invested in him, you know, before he broke out as a player and, you know, two years ago with the Hornets and made a lot of money on him um, because I read an article about him and his mom, you know, how he was taking care of his mom and, you know, like he's a mama's boy and like, all this, and I'm like, Oh, that's nice. You know, like here's a guy, you know, he's, he's still, he's got a great relationship with his mother and the whole deal. So I understand what you're saying. And I mean, the flip side to that, of course, is you got enough to worry about with, with, with professional athletes now about injuries yeah. and about what else could derail them. You don't need to worry about, you know, uh, investing in Deshaun Watson or Michael Vick or any of these other guys where obviously the value can go down at any moment. And it's crazy time. because I actually used to be a baseball guy. I really love baseball, but to be honest with you guys, nowadays, because of how the market looks at what people, how the players play on a like literally daily basis, it's not the sport. To be honest, baseball is the by far baseball is the highest risk sport, and given the choice of investing my money in baseball, basketball, football, and I was a guy. I bought Juan Soto when he was just going up to double A. I, I remember I was, I think I, I messaged with you guys at the uh, last Cow Palace show there in Frisco. Uh, this guy, Alex, had the Super Fractor Bowman Chrome Auto, one of one PSA 10. And I bought it off him for 11 grand. I mean, I just, I was really into baseball. I really thought to tease, to be honest, I did not like Acuna. I didn't like how we played the game. I mean, I know he had fun playing the game, but he just seemed kind of like a prima donna to me or like a like a uh, entitled in a, in a way i really like the way that tatis played he hustled his ass off well, sean what about uh so the guy next to you joe kind of looks like chris bryant i don't know if you've ever got that before but he kind of looks like chris bryant doesn't he why did chris bryant never get any love in the hobby i i i mean it's what what i would say with this is so this is i was actually going to touch on this after we talked about how mike trout how it was a you know how he connected in every you know category and i'll keep it very short and sweet because I know a lot of people are kind of going to say, well, it doesn't apply to everyone. So let me take that back real quick. The guy before that was Derek Jeter, right? But Jeter, you know, 93 SP foil iconic card, right? But how many of those were produced? A lot, right? That was a mass production era. So a lot of people are going to say, okay, so you're saying Trout, you know, so, okay, so why isn't Derek Jeter stuff worth anything? So the biggest thing is, you know, Jeter being how iconic he is, how many World Series, um, just a great overall player, great overall guy, but his value never carried 
a lot of that has to do with how many are, are out there, right? What type of era that he played in. And also, if you guys have noticed this, the vintage market is really never really jumped only in certain cards, very small tier of cards. But then you have these modern guys that are brand new, haven't proven anything, and they go for more than a Mickey Mantle card. It's 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 honestly insane. But back to your point with Chris Bryant. You know uh, why you guys know why he you guys know why he didn't go up in value? Hurt. Yeah. Injuries. You get we talk about it with Judge. We were just talking about Judge we is my favorite it. player, most underrated player in my opinion, I mean, I love the guy. I love his story. Is this Cage? Is this your long-lost cousin here? Huh? Maybe. These are all Cage's, like, favorite guys. Like, Cage invested so much okay, into Judge, so too. I was telling Judge him, has a great story, too. So if I can give any advice to people who are listening to the podcast, <laughs> if I were them, I would get rid of my trouts faster than you can say, what? Right now, I promise you. Trout is probably one of the worst investments Horrible. in sports cards that you could possibly make. Mainly because when you buy his stuff, it's extremely expensive. Four years ago, there was a guy named David Awanshu who fashioned himself Vegas Dave. He was not we back back then we we were not really investing heavy in sports, but I saw this guy Trout doing his thing, and especially after he won his second MVP in 2016. I was just like, man, this guy is like 24, 25 years old. He's got two MVPs. His, he plays the game with passion. His hair is on fire. He was on track to be a top five, almost in like, I think it was like 10 or 12 of the top Mickey categories. Mickey was his comparison. I'm sure you remember. Yeah, every time they would come Mantle. up, it would be Mickey Mantle. He was on track to be one of the best ever. Mm -hmm. And so that's why literally I was telling Dave, you have to buy as many of this guy's cards as you can find buy all the big ones now obviously back then i didn't think that they'd become million dollar cards well didn't he sell but one for like time, a million dollars didn't he have like a super fractor yeah yeah the one so the backstory to that that super fractor of trout was on ebay for a couple of years a year or two um before he bought it and the reason why i know this is the year before he bought it i was trying to buy it the guy i believe was in asia i believe and he had it on ebay for five hundred thousand. And I sent him an offer for two hundred ten thousand. He declined it. I sent him an offer, I think at two twenty. He's like, you know, I I guess that's a good price. I'm not too. Sure. Long story short, I, I think I offered him like two hundred forty thousand. He agreed that he would sell to me off eBay, and it fell through. And he never posted it back up on eBay. Like it just kind of fell off. And then, I think like six or eight, eight eight months later, he put it back up. And I told Dave, I said, hey man, I tried to buy it from this guy. I couldn't get it. If you can get it buy it and at the time dave was buying up all the oranges that we could get for him um and so i guess he offered the guy i want to say he offered him like 350 or something like that and the guy finally bit flew down uh, met dave in person Dave literally gave him a duffel bag full of cash he took the card and i think that was that was it that was the that was one of the purchases that i did not help him with Mainly because I was pissed off and in shock that he actually got a hold of the guy and the guy agreed to sell it. Well, like, I, I would say you helped him more than you realize. I mean, you didn't finalize your portion of it at two forty or two fifty, and you let it. You let the card be out there for Dave to buy. You helped him more than you realize. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I was very upset. That I mean, I was literally willing to sell my house to buy that card. That's how much belief I had in the player. But 
things have changed since then. It's, it's the same thing with and getting back to Chris Bryant. Yeah, he was on fire. He was ready to take off. I remember Bias, I had, I had a I had a PSA ten Chris Bryant uh, refract Bowman first Bowman Auto the 2013 no, I yeah, believe no, the yeah, first 14, one. 14. No, thirteen was his first car. Thirteen was the first one. Then. So the thirteen, yeah. I had one that was worth maybe a thousand or fifteen hundred bucks. The PSA ten. I remember that was when PSA had first started grading autographs. I got the auto grade added on. It was at that point. It was a pop one PSA ten ten. I sold it on eBay for forty five hundred dollars. I tripled my money on the car just because the auto was graded. But right after that, he just became injured. Trout has been getting a pass for his injuries for like four seasons. Mm -hmm. I have never, never seen, seen that, that ever. Most players, you have one or two seasons in a row, you get hurt and like judge or you suck for one or two years. And you have to like Bregman. He had to play out of his mind good to overcome the fact that when he first came up, he sucked. Mm -hmm. And then his prices actually went skyrocketing. I remember his oranges got to like 10 to 15,000, I want to say. And then they cheated and... Well, look at Harper. Look how much money went into Harper. Yeah, he's another yeah. guy. That but but Harper is not like I. I played ball in college myself. I know a lot of guys that played with him. He's not the nicest guy, so I always stayed away from Harper. Right? It, for his prices, I always chose Trump. his attitude with people, hurt, the way that he played the game. Yeah. It hurt his value, and I don't think it's ever come back. Never. I know that he signed a contract with the Phillies. He didn't allow himself any outs out of it, so he's there for ten years unless they trade him. Um, he's, I think he tried that to try to kind of try to change the perception of who he was as a person, as a player. But as you can see nowadays, based on the values of his cards, nobody believes him. My, and he had a great, well, my co-host, um, uh, right so my co-host coined this term called cardboard relevant, right? How, if somebody is relevant and then they lose relevance, it's that whole inertia thing, right? It's so much more difficult to get relevance back. Uh, that it's almost a lost cause. First impression, right? Yep. First yeah. impression is always, it's so hard to overcome people thinking you're an idiot or you're an asshole on that. Well, I want to ask you about that. I want to shift to NBA and guys that are listening. So we're going to spend half of today's episode. We're going to be talking about kind of go player by player. There's going to be so much value in, in listening to the nuance. And then in the second half, we'll talk about the role influencers have in the hobby. Cause we, we did touch on it a little bit and we'll get back to it. But right. Zion, so yesterday we did an episode and I said Zion is the most dangerous investment right now in the game. I think if you don't sell off in the next one or two weeks, there's going to be a whole influx of sellers because I think this next season coming up is going to be kind of a lost season for him. And people, there's a lot of money in him and people are going to want to use that money elsewhere. What are your guys' takes on Zion? He's very high risk. And I say that. And With low reward, in my opinion. I actually have a... A, a pop to immaculate RPF is gem mint. And I'm, I have, I actually split that card with one of my investors and we are very, I, I don't want to say scared. We're very apprehensive because when the season starts, people don't really realize that he's not going to be playing come the start of the season. And it's going to be his rookie season. Take two. Yep. And you remember what happened remember. when he finally came back though from his rookie from from the knee injury? Remember that first game? Remember that first yeah. quarter? Yeah. I mean, it didn't matter if you hold it. Him shooting three was the three. Yeah, shooting three. That was really strange. <laughs> he never did it again. Four, four, he never did it again. He never did it again. I was just like, wait, who is this? <laughs> and the fact that he came back out of shape, but that was the, that was the biggest thing with yeah. him, right? He was back. He was healthy. Now he's out of shape. He is so right? close to becoming 
that guy with that just he's always hurt. You know, you can't rely on him. He's he's he he was arguably that guy. I mean, you, he erased a lot of that perception with his you know ending the season. But then he he sat out right the last few games. He hurts he hurt something or yeah yeah. And I'm worried that he's gonna have the type of year where um, they nurture him right. They don't want to force him back. He's young. They don't want an injury Again. like a like a metatarsal. Yeah. To, to re-break, I think this is going to be a lost season. Let's flip it. Who in the NBA or in the NFL excites you? You know, oh. to me, I think Giannis is so undervalued given the stage of his career. He he reminds me of that Trout, two MVPs, Defensive Player of the Year, twenty six years old, such a bright future. Curious, what are your guys' takes? You know, Sean Joe, who are you he, looking at? That he knows who I'm going to say, so he, let him go. Yeah, so, you. like Giannis, like, hey, so I understand. People are excited. They won the championship. But I think we can all agree that a lot of things have to break right for them to win. If you had run that back 10 times, I think literally they win the championship once, maybe maybe twice. Um, the reason why I myself... If Kyrie, doesn't twist, if Kyrie doesn't sprain his ankle, they're not getting out of that series. No way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and this is just my opinion. I mean, take it with a grain of salt. But I never invest in players who have glaring weaknesses. And in the NBA, everyone is about the closers, right? I mean, everybody gave – I mean, Dur Durant's another prickly character. Um, he's been fighting what people think of him because he, he sometimes he cares too much about what people say, and then he replies to their to their blasting him, and it just turns into a total shit show for him, right? And he has to go, oh, yeah, I had a burner. I mean, it, it, it was really bad for public perception for him. But I personally don't invest in him because he's not a closer. He can't. You can never be a closer unless you can shoot free throws. You you just can't. And I think for me, his his sports card prices are gonna pay when they're in some playoff series and it's game six, and they're the other team is playing the foul game, and they have to pull Giannis out of the game. So that they can have the best chance. Let me take this a different way, right? Even if you love Giannis, right? Even if you think Giannis is the greatest on earth, right? So, and Andrew likes to say he thinks Giannis is undervalued, right? I, I like to level set with people, right? I like to I like to make sure that our listeners who have only been in this hobby for twelve months, eighteen months, twenty four months, and they've seen the Giannis as high as seven thousand dollars. Talk about his Prism PSA ten, right? Sixty five hundred, sixty eight hundred, seven thousand dollars, and now down under two, right? You know. Uh, for that PSA. Well, TV famous influencer sold me a box with a Giannis for seven thousand. Possibly, but we happen to have somebody here who who was investing in and buying Giannis cards back in 13, 14, 14, 15, 16. What were the Giannis cards going for? Tell us your Giannis story. So, so my Giannis story. So it all starts <laughs> when I was. Um, it was. It started a little before that, but I was in California. I played ball out there. I'm originally from Cleveland, right? I would always go out and I would graph, right? So I would go home. I would go to Tower City. Uh, during the month of December, I would use that as time to get extra money, right? So I didn't never had to really work. I would use, you know, going to get autographs. And I had a ton of people that knew that, hey, I'll go get autographs, you know, 150 for a ball. I go buy the ball for $25 that I would save up and get merchandise credits for, from for gifts from my parents or, or birthdays. I would go buy these basketballs and I would go get them signed down there. So I remember when I would go wait for Giannis, I would be the only person there, right? <laughs> Grant, remember, this is 2016. This is December of 2016. I am the only person there. He's not he, Dwight Howard Jr. yet, right. with a humongous he, he, shoulder. <laughs> he, 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 I'll never forget. He walks off the bus. It's like nicest guy in the world. It's like 3:30 in the morning, 
Okay, it's freezing. It's Cleveland. It's snowing. Not not happy. Uh, walks off. Big smile. I pronounced his name and I said Giannis, right? And he at that time spoke very broken English, and the way that he talked was like so like soft, right? And he said, "You know my name. My everyone calls me Giannis, right?" And he sat there and he signed like five balls for me. I didn't have any cards at the time because cards, they weren't worth anything to get signed. It was always balls, make, you know, memorabilia, jerseys, balls. But getting back to his cards, I was buying his Prism. I mean, I still have on eBay. I look at it all the time in 2016. I was buying his Prism Autos, 40 bucks raw. His bases were 20 bucks raw. His gold standard still sealed on card RPAs vertically were like $150. Right. His his back then there was no thing as basically colored prisms. Right. People didn't like the colored prisms. It was all about autographs. So his RPAs, his horizontal vertically, you're talking like one hundred hundred twenty dollars. My one of my favorite cards were I believe it was the Spectra. Right. And it was a green. It was a nice color match. I always was big into color matches. I kind of hit that at the very right time i started and it had the full length auto right like he now he signs like it looks right. like a that, TA. So, so that was the g and then it went on right yeah. it wasn't just the little squibble that he did you know even when he signed yeah. back then he did kind of like the whole thing but his cards were like 100 bucks 120 bucks and that's why you know we talk about it all the time we have a really hard very messed up perspective right because i look at a guy like Giannis, and i'm like Man, $100, $120, $150. So that's where I see him, right? And then, like, you know, you just mentioned, you see it at the 7,000 level. And then, you know, before we hopped on, I was telling you guys how in um, in the in the fall of, I believe it was 2018, October, November, I was calling my buddy and PSA 10s were 80 bucks. And I told him, you know, by the time you sell them in February or March, I remember it vividly like it was yesterday, you know, you could sell them for $150. And his comment back to me was, why would I put out 800 to only make 700 in a three or four month span? That's not a correct ROI. Well, I said, you know what? <laughs> Sell as many as you can, get your initial back, and the rest are free. And that's kind of how, from a young person's perspective, how I built it, right? I would spend, you know, because let's be honest, no one really has a lot of money when you're young, right? So you work your way around that. You know, if you, if you have three or $400, you buy a guy, you wait for it to uptick, you got to play the weight game, you sell what you can sell. If you really like the guy, put it in a corner, forget about it, and then go reinvest the three or $400, right? Facebook groups were huge when I was younger. So I would go in those Facebook groups. I would go to card shows. I would see people would pay good money. Evan Longoria. People used to love Evan Longoria, right? I used to get the base cards for 2 or $3, <laughs> and I would sell them in these Facebook groups for 8 or $10, Right. Not not a crazy like margins you're talking. I mean, I would use the four. I think it was thirty nine or forty four cents for a stamp back then. Tracking wasn't that big of a thing. Um, but, you know, you could make five bucks here, six bucks there. And you add that up, you buy five or ten cards. And all of a sudden, you know, you're 13, 14, even 15, 16 years old. And you're making 50 here, 50 there. And you're you're not spending a lot of money. Right. Your parents are covering anything, everything. You don't have a car. You know, you're not paying for food. So, and I was biased on Giannis. Like I, so I love, I did love Giannis. I have a friend, Joel Valent. I don't know if you guys have done business with him, but he is like the most hardcore Milwaukee Bucks fan I've ever seen in my life. He's from Wisconsin, and so I've watched as Joel, because Joel's been in the hobby for a long time. He would kind of always tell me about all these Giannis cards. I remember I was at the Chicago Sports Spectacular maybe like three or four years ago, and I think that's when the very first rush uh of people to try to buy Giannis cards first happen 
because people are like, oh, we need to get these Giannis Silvers. And I remember they were like a few thousand dollars. And I was like, you guys are crazy. You guys are spending a few thousand dollars on Prism Silvers, a PSA 10 to this guy. He can't even shoot. No auto either. No ink. And that's why I never bought him. Like, this guy can't shoot. And I mean, I think today, what, he shoots threes in the low to mid 30%. He's getting better. He's getting better. Because, so let me just backpedal because there's this is an important moment. And we, we do a daily show. So every single day for the last 468 days, we've come on here and we talk and we share what we try is we try to help people. Uh, and there was a really important nuance there, right? So you said, why would I shell out 800 bucks to make 700 bucks, right? Your friend said that. Yeah. I hope this is a lesson that our new listeners and people that are new in the hobby learn. Any of you guys want to take a guess? If you, have, if you start with $1,000 and you double your money, how long will it take you to get a million bucks? How often are you doubling it? Yeah, how often are you buying and selling? No, how many doubles? Just how many doubles do you need? Oh, okay. Not how like, long. You want to do math? That's well, horrible. Like, uh, 100, 100 doubles? 500 doubles? More than that. No, it actually less, gets way less than really that. Big. Yeah, it gets, it gets big really quick. And that's actually a lesson that I try to tell 10 people. doubles. 10 doubles. You have to have a 10 bets. Will, will so, so just real quick, Sean. I, I, you guys are talkers. I like you guys a lot. That's not 10 that's not doubles if you start with a thousand bucks. And it's so important to reset our expectations over this last year where things have gone parabolic to understand that, guys, just hit doubles. Find good plays. Be what seems like conservative. You're 10 doubles away from a thousand to a million. Sorry to cut you off, Sean. I just wanted – we're value-driven. We, remember, we get about a thousand listeners, 2,000 every day. It's about them. Because they're we're value-driven, let me ask this because these guys are smart. And they bring – it's more than just 18 months or 24 months of this. You know, when, when you look at it now and you see, you know, someone like us is looking at Giannis and saying, wow, you could buy those Giannis cards cheap compared to where they were. And he's going to have a great year and he's going to be awesome and you name it. And you're looking at it saying Giannis is 50 times what it was when I paid for it. It was a bargain when it was 100 bucks for the auto. It's not a bargain now. Well, you're still making money. You're still in the hobby. You're still going from Dallas to Vegas to Hofstra to wherever else it's going to be, right? So without, you know, without getting into the trade secrets, I mean, I don't want anybody cutting into your money. This is my money. When, when you fuck with my money, I don't like nobody messing with my money, right? So I understand, right? So, but, but so what, what's the play? If it's not Giannis and it's not that stuff, like, you know, is, is it trying to find the next big thing? You know, were you guys on the Marvel Fleer PMG cards, which have suddenly steamed up, right? Because, and, and the reason why I asked this is it'll lead us into the, the last half hour of this is when people are in this for six months, 12 months, 24 months, and they come in with everybody telling them, get in, the returns are great. You're going to 10x your money. I bought these LeBrons in 2018 for a thousand bucks. They went to 40. Yeah, they're now down to 15, but still that's 15x your money. Like it's crazy money. You know what they do is they don't win right off the bat, right? They, they, they lose. They, you know, they're putting this money in there, expecting these huge returns, and the next thing they do is they roll into, well, let me see what uh, this guy's doing. Let me, see, let me follow this. Inf this influencer just held up this card and said that this is the way to go to make money, and I'm going to follow those. And you wind up getting into a buy high, low, sell low kind of scenario. Which, we which is funny, about. Cage. Yeah. In 2002, three, when Bodog became really, really popular, the same thing happened in sports betting where a lot of new people came in and they started buying plays. They started going to influencers to be like, how do I make money? So the, it, it actually has so many parallels. People should buy my plays. I was nine and two against the spread yesterday. That's right. What I hit every I hit Sunday, join in. 
I had a crazy one when we were in Philly. Oh man, that that's a story for another time. Yeah, I mean, well, going back to like helping the people, yep. I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they hold on to their assets too long. Nobody wins. Like in baseball, you hit three. You if you hit the ball three times and strike out seven, you pretty much are going to go to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> True. It's not easy. I mean, I I've been investing in cards for like twenty years, and I don't win every single choice. That I, I mean, there's certain things that happen that are out of your control injuries um you know domestic issues i mean you've got all these things but the biggest two of the biggest mistakes they make number one they hold too long on an investment thinking well i'm gonna get it back you know he'll just turn it around you're not gonna win every play you gotta set certain boundaries for yourself so like when i take on investors i go through a few questions that i ask them to kind of gauge pun intended where they're at i mean Mm -hmm. Number one, what is your risk tolerance on a scale of one to 10? What is your investment timeline? You know, how much money do you have to invest? Mm -hmm. You know, like there's all these questions that I ask. And once they answer those questions, it basically literally tells me what kind of sports investments I should put them into and which ones I shouldn't. Another thing I tell them is don't try to extract every single penny. That's the biggest thing I see at these shows. You got all these young kids with their tables thinking, okay, I set up, I got my table, I got my cards, I'm going to make a million dollars. But the problem is, is they're there, the card's worth $1,000, they're trying to sell it for 1200 And then you got me in the corner, I got the same $1,000 card, I've priced it at 900 or 850 And I look at these kids afterwards, I'm like, look, man, I understand that you want to get max money for your cards, but you got to, it's like a, it's like a card. The money cents on the dollar. If you bought it for seventy cents, bank that twenty because a bird in the hand, two in the bush, and move on to the next investment. Yep. A lot of these people, they're trying to get maxed out. I'm like, look, dude, if you can sell your card for hundred percent of what it's worth, but it takes you a month, and I get eighty-five or ninety percent on my investment, and I flip the card six times in a month, who makes more money? And they just don't understand that because they they, got, they, they have an emotional yeah. connection to their cards. And that's why when I started to be a dealer full-time, what I the first thing I did, guys, not only did I do it to get me more working capital, but it was to kind of make me heartless when it came to my to the hobby that I love. I sold all my PC cards. I was just gonna I, ask that. Do you have a PC? Because from what you're I talking sold, about, you can't I anymore. sold all of it because if I if I can, I mean, they're like my kids. Not to make it sound like a you know like a bad analogy, but if I can sell my kid, I can sell anything. If I can sell my PC cards, you know my my roots, my I mean these were my cherished treasures. I'd I'd rather you shoot me than you take my cards. If I can sell those, I can sell anything. And so now, I am pretty I want to say cold and calculating, but I'm all business oriented. All these cards to me don't have a name. They have a risk factor. They have their profit margin, and that's it. Anything else really doesn't come into play for me when I'm trying to do what I do and which is, you know, provide for my family and take care of what I got to take care of. But those are the biggest mistakes. And I see every young dealer at these shows making them and I wish they would listen to me, but I mean, Sean, the answer is probably both, but like, what do you say to, you know, half the people or some people in the hobby are like, this is a hobby. It will always stay a hobby. You, it shouldn't be a business and we don't really want it to be right. Listen to collectors. And then some people are like, I want to make a living off of this. I, I want to flip. I enjoy the, the money making. How do those two, you know, are they uh, at odds with each other? Can they work with, can they work together? Yeah, Unf- I, I, I think so. Unfortunately, 
the days of this being a hobby it's over. there in the rearview mirror. Mm -hmm. It is now, it just costs, the barriers to entry have gotten really high to this hobby. Mm -hmm. You have to pay what, I mean, like a thousand, two thousand dollars for like a box of cars. That was a hundred bucks just a few years ago. I mean, the kids can't afford to play this game anymore. It's all adults. And if it's not an adult, it's a kid, then it's an adult who pays for his kid to play the game. And so unfortunately, those types of things have to be factored in. Even if they want it to be a hobby, a lot of times you're putting so much money into this thing now just to have a decent collection that whether you like it or not, you have to have at least a little bit of a business-oriented approach to it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, truly, if the money doesn't matter to you, you're going to be losing you're gonna get quite a bit of money. And I just think, I personally think we're at a point in time where there's just too much put into this, right? I think we've already gotten to that point. You know, we, we've been past that point that there's too much already in the middle here, right? There's way too much money that for it to just go poof, right? And a lot of people keep saying like, Dave, poof. The biggest, the, the market is driven by a very few people, relatively speaking. Yeah. And so let's talk about that, right? You're talking scary. about like the, yeah. I that's mean, scary. you say what, 20 to 20 people? There, there, there I would are, say there's there 20 to like, 30 big hitters I, that really influence I used to market. only sell huge cars, but the problem when I went to shows is that everybody would just blow their mind looking at my stuff but nobody would buy it. And the mid-tier <laughs> stuff that moves. Yeah, that you so make I basically on. had to redo my inventory and get rid of all my big stuff and break them down to cards anywhere from like 500 to like maybe 10,000 so that people could actually afford to buy what I had. Because it's great to go look at my limited logos, LeBron, Gem, right? But I mean, who, seriously, who's in this fork? Back then, who's going to fork out $65,000 to buy it off of me? I mean, my... My target audience is very, was very, very narrow. And you know what? I want to say that now that's changed. There's a lot more guys with big money who are buying into the hobby. But the amount of big guys who buy and influence people, to me, hasn't really grown proportionally with the amount of people who are just buying stuff to buy as an investment. Because there's a difference, right? There's guys who buy and hold, and there's guys who buy, hold, and people know that they have, and people know why they bought, and people know when they sell. Yep. And so those are the people. So what you're saying is like, there's, there's these guys who come in, you know, they buy, you know, a big card and they're like, oh, I'm going to add my own personality to it, my own profile, my own following. And that will kind of create, you know, Only my 500 people. You, do that. You, gave me, you gave me a really good segue. So when I told Dave to pile the trout. I get paid to do this now. I can't believe it. You know, I don't understand why I do. One day they'll pay me too. I mean, they'll find value in what I'm doing. You, know, he's the only you haven't talked this whole though. episode. <laughs> you guys have noticed, though, as soon as Dave started buying all the oranges for $7,500, $125,000, other people with money, herd mentality. You know, at, at Costco, you see everybody crowded around something, and they're looking. Well, what do you do? You go over there, and you're like, I, I want to see, too. Mm -hmm. yeah, and all of I a sudden, to. you got all these rich guys to. going, I want to buy what Vegas Dave bought because, yep. well, that's got to be fucking scary. Right? I want the, the Hickory thing. Farms sausage on a toothpick, too. Hell, yeah. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, I you're, everybody, <laughs> whether they admit it or not, everybody wants to hang out with the cool kids. Mm -hmm. Well, everybody, I like to say nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd. That's what I like to say. Exactly. But you're yeah, right. Whatever man, I mean, costs, and so yeah. what happened was after he purchased all those oranges and he set those price points, because he was overpaying big time for some of them because the guys did not want to let him go. And he was like, okay, well, everyone's got a price. And he would basically just keep going up and up and up until they said, okay, I'll, I'll sell it. But what happened was all the other trouts below it slowly but surely started to fill up to the point now where those values were in line 
with the graph as far as valuation of cars up and through the orange and the red. And so that happens with everything. It's really scary. I don't know how much you guys want me to delve into like <laughs> the elephant in the room and the dirty little secrets of the hobby. Cause sure, I know listen, a lot about this. without, without, you know, crazy with names and whatnot. I mean, I'll, I'll you know, I'd love to hear about it because it's one of those things we talk about, right? It's, it's, you know, it, there are people who have influence, right? And I think that, you know, one of the scariest parts of, of, of the hobby is that people who have gotten into it, they just do that. They look at, okay, well, if this person tells me to buy it, I'm going to buy it. And I think we wind up in a cycle where that person may be talking about these particular cars because they already bought them. Right. And then right. now there's a run up. The price is already high. And then average Joe gets in and buys the Giannis PSA 10 at six or seven thousand dollars. And then they're just holding it, writing it down until it's only worth two. one of the two biggest mistakes they can make. And that's the problem. When these influencers do buy things, they've got pretty much two different ways of looking at it. The first one is I bought I bought 50 Giannis silver PSA or whatever, whatever the car they bought. Whatever, yeah. uh, I want to manipulate people who follow me so that I can get the value up and I'm going to sell them. Or it's a guy who is truly a nice guy. He bought 50. He believes in the player and he's going to do them as a long-term hold. The problem is, is that when people are watching them or following them on social media, they don't know that he's buying them with a long-term hold in mind. They don't know that he has a, a significant amount of belief in the player and he has a belief in why the player will then become more and more valuable. They don't know any of that. And so when he buys those 50 and starts this gravy train of people buying all these cards, the card goes up. Well, the guy's like, well, let's say I buy some, I buy 50 or something. Well, I know the guy is not that great, but I feel like in three years he'll be good because I've seen him in his videos working on his game. I know what he's doing with his trainers. You got inside information, which in any other hobby would get you arrested in this hobby everything goes and so you know something that nobody else knows and that's why you're buying this guy well the other guy doesn't know that and so when he buys it with no belief and all of a sudden this the season goes and the guy's not doing like what the guy other guy knows he'll be doing in three years he's not doing it right now the guy gets scared no belief sells the card and it just literally cuts him out at the knees as far as the hobby and it starts this downward cycle of the values because then it, it happened with Tyler Hero. It happened with Tyler Hero, frankly. Oh, exactly. Oh, right. When I saw my friends buying his NTs during his playoff thing, I said, what in the hell are you doing? You're buying at the, at the peak. The kid couldn't You're buying height and the guy has almost nothing behind it to substantiate the buy. Not or not, but that, guy, that kid was a party animal. Yeah. He was out in the... I'm not going to say what I heard, but that dude was doing things that are not conducive to being in the best shape and in the best condition that, that a, a top athlete should be in. After, so so, so I, when we started this podcast, it was kind Chick-fil-A. of amazing. I like Chick-fil-A. Is he, even, is he eating a lot of Chick-fil-A? When, he started, when we started this podcast, it was July of 2020. So it was right before Bubble Hero. And I watched him because I remember he, uh, the Sixers went to overtime against the Heat. And I was like, this guy's cold-blooded. He pulls, he's like uh, Tito Cruz from Coach Carter. Instead of getting the layup, he pulls up for three. Remember that shot? Yeah. And I was yeah. like, guys, in the bubble, he's at home. He's right in Florida. This Heat team's going to be good. And they're going to give the, the Bucks a run for their money. So I gave the play. And we don't do a plays. We do like a watch list, go and do your own research type of thing. I said, take a look at him because this guy's going to show out in the bubble. But what, what happened was my name was associated to Tyler Hero when he already went off. And his card prices were plummeting. And my 
I mean, Cage, how many times did people in our audience were like, Andrew, stop talking about Tyler Hero. Does this guy know about anything else? So, yeah, like, he's going to give a Tyler Hero play again. It's going to be another, again. another Tyler Hero episode. But, but to answer your question like, about the rabbit hole of the, the – your question about the rabbit hole or the elephant in the room in the hobby, man, my mission or my vision with this podcast was a foundation of what I was raised on. So I'm an Eastern European. I'm a Ukrainian guy. And we argue a lot in our family. But at the end my of the day – I, I – I, I I get I get that whole thing. Pravda is our favorite word. Pravda. It means truth. So my commitment with this podcast is to truth, right? Like we're never going to sell our content. I said that from day one. I'll say that now. If I'm so good at investing and I'm so good at understanding the market, why do I need my community to pay me money? So to answer your question, elephant in the room, my goal with this isn't to badmouth anyone. It's so that the people listening learn and get the truth. That's it, right? So they can make their own decisions so they don't have the wool over their eyes. It's kind of like as a few good men, you can't handle the truth. A lot of these truths are going to shock the hell out of people. But I think it will really open their eyes to what really influences when sports collectibles shoot up and and why they shoot down. Because there's nothing worse than investing in something that you don't understand. You know, uh, I always tell people, stay in your lane. Mm-hmm. You find one thing that you're really, really, really good at in life, and you just do that thing over and over again until you're rich. And that's the same thing with sports cars. I see people who really don't know anything about the sport. I know guys who play baseball who don't know, who can't shoot a basketball worth a leg. Mm-hmm. But yet they're, you're, you're spending five figures on basketball cards. Do you even know why you're buying? Them? And it's not so bad when it's a, a retired player. Because that's almost idiot-proof unless you're buying a big upscaling like Jordan when his documentary came out, right? For the most part, those are safe. It's blue chips. But when they're buying Tyler Hero, my buddy bought a National Treasures gem for $30,000. And I was, <laughs> when he told me, I almost fell out of my chair. I'm like, what are you doing? You can just look at a guy and see that that's not the direct. He sold it a month later for less than half. I'm like, bro. Respect, though. Cut, cutting losses is a big lesson that needs to be learned because that 15 can get you back to 30 faster than right. exactly. 30 Really quick, get, you yeah. get into something real good. But yeah. they just won't. Some people just refuse to lose. It's like, mm-hmm. dude, get it through your thick skull. In this hobby, if you do it as an investment, you're going to lose. It's just like sports betting. You just got to lose more than – I mean, you guys got to win more than you lose, and you'll be fine. Yeah. So what I, do we hear to... all the time? We hear – what's that? No, go, go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. I was gonna say what we hear all the time is is uh, yeah I'm gonna be I'm gonna be really high on that because you know I paid extremely strong and you know I'm gonna wait right do you have a crystal ball right I don't I don't tell them that but in my head I'm like do you, wait do you have a crystal ball that you're rubbing that you know it's gonna go back to what you paid so now you can get out of it it's not how it works right a card is worth what it's worth and a lot of people try to sell cards and I understand it but a lot of people try to sell it's cards. one thing if you have a belief right. It's another thing if you're just like, well, I'm, I'm going to hold it and I'm really high because I, I, I paid high. high. I paid high. It's like, homie. Oh, hope is not a strategy. That was hope like is not a strategy. Year. That's like buying a beanie baby. It like, just bro. sold for six grand. I want 10, right? And there's three or four more on there. My my biggest thing is, and this is actually, this is going to go to the, the audience that's new in the hobby. Or you don't even have to be new in the hobby. Maybe a lot of people, I see them make this big mistake. They come up to your table. Look, these are the comps, right? Say you have a, I'll use one of the cards that I bought. A guy that I really like is Trey Young, right? I think he's very undervalued. I think his team is very good. I thought that what he did last year to the New York Knicks, um, you know, that's something that, you know, he's just that, he's a little bit of a villain, but he's a good guy. You know, he's been with the same girl for a long time. 
a respectable kid anyways. That was agreed. Purple hobby out of 75. There's one on eBay right now. Prism. Four, Prism, right? PSA 10. There's one on, I think the pop report on that is, I believe it's 26 or 16. Cage sold one of those in, in uh, all time. You didn't? No. I sold the you red. I still have the red to Sasha T. Gotcha. The red. Okay. The, I, I have the red, right? So if you go on Sasha's YouTube video at the National, I bought it for 3500 and a lot of people were laughing, right? If you go to his, if you That's go my to his card. national, That's right? That's card. card. I, I sold my, right? I sold a bunch of reds for three thousand. He, he sold his at the national, right? And I'm, and I'm running around because I see Sasha to get sidetracked here real quick. I'm running around. And I'm like, where the hell is this guy? I gotta find this guy. I gotta find him. I gotta, I'm trying to call him. He's not answering. I go up to uh, Jamil with Millie Pops. I'm like, yo, call Sasha. I know he's gonna answer for you. Get him over here. I got his thirty five hundred bucks. I tried to give him thirty thirty three. Um, Long story short, I end up buying the card, and I, I turn to my buddy, and I'm like, dude, this is probably like an 8 to 10K card. Oh, well, no, it's not this, that. All right, my thing behind it, Luca Blue, right, 65,000, PSA 10, okay? Trey Young, 3,500. Tell me that Trey Young, quick math, 5 6% of a Luca. No, right? Should be about 20%. It still hasn't caught. I saw one sold the other day for 10 grand. I saw one that's on auction right now at 7100. So I bet a few months. So back to your point, if you can double up or you can park your money somewhere good where you see undervalued, but not only seeing the player but seeing his team and the direction of everywhere that player is going, there's still great plays to be made, right? But the main thing was with that card and what I was going to get to on the purple. Yeah, the purple. The purple is there's one on eBay, and there's very there's very few to ever been on eBay. There's I think there's like none to have ever sold. So if it sells for fourteen, right? I picked mine up for I believe seven thousand. I'm in, I'm into it for seven, but I'm really not into it at seven. I got it at seven value. I'm probably into it in in the middle fours, right? Once that card's gone, now the demand is going to be there. So don't go up to somebody and say, well, look, it sold for 10 grand. Um, I'll do 9,000. That doesn't work on niche cards like that. And that's where a certain point in the hobby where you move to the next level and you move to the next tier. <laughs> that's where our, our buddy Bobby's at. So yeah. can, I, can I pause real quick? Can I pause yeah. real quick? Cage, there was a lot that happened there. Do you want to say anything about that deal with Sasha and how all that worked? Any? any no, no. The only thing I'll say is that the red is out of 299 and the blue is 199. Correct. So don't do the straight Luca, you know, twenty five percent there. You know, I'll, I mean, obviously it's a lot, but it's color match. But yeah, right, but I'll, nice I'll go a different the, direction. It's nice when the color match is one ninety nine instead of two ninety nine. No, I mean, it's, listen, Sasha was great, man. I mean, I I left, I left the national with, you know, with a, a curiosity in my brain. I think I did a Google search of you know domestic flights, how much cash am I allowed to bring on an airplane, you know, and the as much answer as you is, want, as much as, as you want, which, which was good, good for yep. me because. Have you, you ever seen mean? Wolf of Wall Street? You, we could saran wrap it to your body. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know that that movie was a long time. When you ago. get stopped at TSA, though, I'll be the first one to tell you my heart's pumping a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> it is. But no, I mean, listen, that deal. Um, I had a very good deal with Sasha. You know, I mean, the, the, that wasn't even the key card of it. And guys, you know, the, there is a flip side to it, right? So it's, it's all about like leaving some meat on the bone when you're doing deals. Like, you, you're talking about, you're talking about like, um, you know, cutting your losses. It's also the same thing. The best part that I've got out of this, Sean, is you're talking about you're in the corner of a show and you got a thousand dollar card and you might take eight fifty or nine hundred for it because you can move that eight fifty nine hundred at that show into something else that you'll turn it to twelve hundred or thirteen hundred down the road, right? So, so yeah, I mean. I probably only 
had my my Trey Red in the deal that I made with Sasha, probably only about 2750 2800 which is cheap. Obviously, you flipped the two for 3500 probably the same day. But here's the fun part. Um, I got that card in a deal right like the week before COVID shutdown. And everybody was like chicken little, you know, the sky is falling, you name it, a year and a half ago. And I paid $2,400 for that card, a Luca Silver, and an SGA Silver. The three of them, the $2,400. So, so, I mean, I I don't mind getting 2,800 bucks for that card. Well, that's what that's you what I wanted to tell. I wanted to tell that to our audience. So think about that. We've never had this on our episode, 468 episodes at Cage, you profited. Sasha wanted the Zard 9, and he you added that fluff in. So Sasha was happy, and Joe was happy. So think about yep. that. You have a deal, and this is what I think makes the hobby great, is everybody could leave a deal, and this deal that keeps going, happy. Here's Joe who believes in Trey Young. He's like, this card's fucking sick. You you made your money. Sasha got a great deal and he unloaded some inventory, got cash back in his pocket. So that's what I wanted to take out because a lot of times we think it's a zero-sum game. This is an example of how it's not. Should we talk a little bit about influencers influencing? Sure. 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 Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, Sean, you know, you, you say, you know, you manage people's portfolios, right? And how are you guys doing on time? Because I, I want to be respectful. Okay. I, I know yeah, you're, you're good. Okay. Cool. I, I'm really enjoying this. So I hope you guys are as well. But like, this is horrible. You, I want to get off right now. <laughs> all right. Peace. <laughs> uh, no one's so ever said we, that to us. So we're good. Never. We're doing good. Almost 500 episodes. <laughs> we no want to go lose our money at the we casino. We want to go yeah. donate at the casinos, yeah, guys. Wait. Let's Wait. Donations. Donations, you know? You're not at a casino. I can see. There's no the casino. Right behind us. There. Spearmint Rhino. That's not a casino. That's a casino. You come in with a lot of your money, you leave with none. That's not what a casino is. <laughs> so, like, so here you are. You influence people. You know, you manage their portfolio. You give advice, right? So you, you are an influencer. And really, I watched a great documentary the other day or a great episode. Of, and we're all influencers in some sort. If you influence one person, you're an influencer. But then you do see, like you guys mentioned, you know, 20, 30 people kind of control the market. You know, what's your, you know, before we get into the details, what's your macro take on, you know, proper versus improper influencer behavior you know what role should an influencer play i don't know the right way to verbalize the question right because it's so kind of great but like maybe we could run with it and 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 kind of get to the answer through some dialogue well like i mean it kind of depends on what that influencer's purpose is Uh when they influence right are they supposed to be for entertainment are they supposed to be an, an expert on something i mean it really depends um, I guess how <clears throat> they mean to approach doing what they do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's this guy named Vegas Dave and the only, like, put it this way. I was his best friend for like 20 years. It says something when I never once placed a bet based on his thought or thinking, like imagine you being a guy deciding whether or not you're going to invest in his packages. And you just so happen to run into his best friend and say, hey, so how have, how have you done with your your best friend's plays? And I go, honestly, I've never used them. Well, without saying much, I've said everything there, need, there needs to be said about that. And that's the only issue I have. And I'm, I get into a lot of trouble because I'm very blunt. I just kind of speak my mind. And no matter how much the truth hurts to me, a lie always hurts more. So I'll just give you what 
I believe to be the truth and you can do with it whatever you want. What was his intention with making that video of like uh, him burning the fake Jordans? Followers, so, so <clears throat> views. <clears throat> his, his view, the only thing he cares about when it comes to like his videos is how many new followers he gets, how many views he gets, because he knows it's a numbers game. So if he has a hundred people watch his video, 80 people are going to think he's an asshole. 10 people are going to love him and 10 are going to be just like whatever. But as long as he gets those 10s that like him because, wow, this guy, he's willing to burn a card. I think that's so cool. If he just gets a few of those, he's happy. He won. He won. It's a rare card. He does card. not care what I people mean, there, think of him. There aren't that many 1986 Fleer Magic Johnson rookie cards. Well, you know, that's you what he said in that most recent of, video, right? Did he say that? Yeah, so the Magic Johnson rookie card. Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson rookie card. I'm like, Magic all right, this dude does not know cards. That okay, is- so remember <laughs> I told you that Dave doesn't really know what he's doing? That right there kind of speaks to his lack of knowledge when he calls it, like, what he called Magic it. Magic right? Johnson rookie card. So, so, so this right. is what pissed, pissed me off. And Cage knows I don't get upset very often. Uh, so yesterday there was this documentary uh, or a graphic for a documentary. And this is kind of how we got put in touch, by the way. Shout out to card porn and shout out to people who brought this to our attention. Um, Jeff Wilson, Rob Ghost, Steve Aoki, and then Vegas Dave. And and I don't understand. So, like, I understand he doesn't care about it. But I don't understand people who impar- apparently have, you know, good values and morals and are, like, were influenced and want the hobby to grow and are willing to be seen ne- next to somebody like this who is a known scammer. Am I seeing things the wrong way? Am I uh, – is, is that the wrong way to analyze it? Am I overthinking it maybe? You know, I, I did. I, I really took offense to that. I said, you know, we have so many people in this hobby who are doing good, who have done right by people. This is the people that you want to portray in a documentary. Well, <laughs> let me ask because I don't. I mean, I don't. What's the known scam? Because I don't know anything about this guy. All I know is there are videos, and he basically is taking what I would consider, if it were a regulated market, a short position. I mean, there are people out there who short things all the time, right? I mean, you know the. That Jamie Demon, what what is he Chase or J.P. Morgan, whatever I don't know, one of the big banks. He just came out and said he thinks Bitcoin is worthless. All right, well that that's a, that's a counter, a pretty counter position while Bitcoin is approaching sixty thousand. You know there are there are people out there who who famously shorted Herbalife. There was it Ackman, right, who shorted against uh, um, Carl Icahn's position, right? And, and somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose, right? And and I guess my the only thing I'm not a I'm not a gambler. Right. I wish I was because I pick winners. Just watch our one night show on Sunday. Well, you know how that works, right? As soon as you actually put your money down. Yeah, Yeah, you'll lose. Well, you know what it is because I would, I have have a gambling gene, right? So I would just, on week where I go 12 and four, I lose my lock. The one that I'm most confident on, I don't win. That's how. Sorry about that later about uh, Dave and locks and how that. How that works out. It's harder yeah, to pick well, one game than 12 games. I guess. But so here's the thing, right? I mean, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, if you really believe it, that the card market is going to crash by 2024. It's going to burn and that kind of stuff. If that's what your belief is. And I mean, some of the stuff we talked about today, you know, might support that line of thinking, right? I mean, we talked about how cards have gone from 50 or $100 to thousands of dollars. You know, there's been a heck of a run up. And if, you know, he doesn't say this in his videos, but I mean, you could, you could take the position, I think, that with the amount of people, let's just call this hobby a pyramid. Not a pyramid scheme, let's just call it a pyramid. Those 20 influencers and 20 big-time buyers are sitting at the top of that pyramid, and they're basically controlling the whole thing. Bottom of that pyramid is people who got in the last 18 to 24 months who were flipping base cards, who were getting in there looking for those returns that everybody in that middle of the pyramid, like yourself, 
has been has been doing taking care of their family you know flipping making good money you name it and they want to move up to that level but with PSA closed and with everybody into it and with the profits squeezed and everybody trying to move the bottom line the price of wax going up that flipping from that bottom into that middle is just not happening that bottom is the one where it's the, the, the people who just got into it that's the ones that everybody else has been making that money on what happens when they disappear what happens when they're all taking too many L's? What happens when they're buying too high and selling too low and they leave to go flip sneakers or NFTs or whatever the hell else the next thing is going to be? And that happened during the second quarter of 2021. Yeah. yeah. The bottom came out mm -hmm. and there was a huge correction. I think yeah. it has to speak to like intention. So like, for instance, <clears throat> if I'm going to, if I know that there's a hundred thousand people watching what I say on, on a podcast, whatever, if I know that I'm not an expert in what I'm talking about, but then I speak as an expert, I think, to be honest, I think that person is a piece of shit. Yeah. Because these people don't know the particulars about who you are, why it is you're speaking about. They just know what comes into your mouth. And if somebody is given to them as an expert, like if you're with Aoki them and all these other guys, then people are gonna assume, oh, this guy must know stuff about cards because he's with these guys who buy big cards. You have a, an obligation, I think, as a uh, you have an obligation to yourself to not get yourself into an ethical dilemma where you're given advice and you really have no right to open your mouth. I mean, when somebody calls the 86 Fleer Magic Johnson card a rookie card, immediately, if you don't shut the fuck up and go sit in the back, I'm going to get upset because you should not even be breathing or opening your mouth when it comes to talking about values of this and that. And he's always saying the sky is falling. You're going to be right. There are going to be dips. The market goes like this. You just don't want to catch it going this. You want to catch it like going that. That's all it is. I mean, people can make money in this. You know, what's the, you know, what's the, I used to tell people like 10 years ago, you know how you make money in sports cards? You buy the best players in the off season and you sell them right well, before the season starts. Yep. Or if you want to even, do you make bigger money but have more risk you sell during the season but if you if you just want to make money you don't care it you want to beat the season. stock market you buy the baseball cards in december mm -hmm. and you sell them in march and you can just do that and you will guaranteed make money because why most guys don't get hurt at home one out of a thousand does but generally speaking they're not going to hurt their value sitting at home in march mm -hmm. but the price of the card is a lot more than it was in december because people were spending money on presents I mean, there's all these idiot-proof ways of going about it, but the main reason why people get screwed is because they get greedy. They go in, they don't have enough information to make an educated decision about things that should be, I mean, they should be educated. I mean, it, 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 it's your money. Yeah. But people are treating it like it's play money, and it's not. And I, I, have a, I have a huge problem. That's why I told you earlier, I don't, I don't go out there and badmouth Dave. I could care less. If he does great in, in his life, fantastic. Why I have a problem is when he starts fucking over people, if he fucks people over, and I'm privy to it. If, if, if someone tells me about a video about him spewing this rhetoric, and I have to watch it because I just so happen to be told about it, then I have an issue, and that's when you see my post, and I just say what I know to be true and not true about the person or what they're saying. You know, and like I said, anybody who says that 86 Flair Magic Johnson card is a rookie card. So, so Cage, I, I'll ask you. Probably, I'll, I'll, probably not even a real card either. So it's one of those values versus like legal, illegal. That I, I don't know of anything illegal, but I do know from the, my covers days. Covers was a, is a sports betting forum. 
right? And what Dave used to do, or allegedly, was he'd have an email list, right? People used to buy plays. So this is my beef. People used to buy plays. He'd have an email list. Let's say he'd have an email list of 10,000 people. He would send out a lock to 5,000 of them on one team and 5,000 on another team, right? So is that illegal? No, but that's hugely unethical. You're screwing over your neighbor. You're screwing over your customers. You're screwing over your, your own people. So when I see that, it's really hard because to me, law, human laws are one thing, but like, you know, a man is only as good as his word. At the end of the day, is that still a value that holds true? It does to me. Maybe some people it doesn't. So that's my beef. That's where I get a little bit like, and now we're putting him on in the sports card hobby. It's the same thing as sports betting. Why do we want this to be our face when we have so many other good faces? Want to hear a little story? So uh, several years ago, Dave flew to Hawaii to meet with me. And he's like, hey, I got this great thing. I want you to partner with me uh, uh, and invest in. But I don't want to talk about it on the phone. I want to come see you and we can go have dinner or lunch or something. <clears throat> so he flies to Hawaii. We go eat. And he tells me, okay, I know this bookie. He's got, you know, I, I want to say it's like five to 7,000 players. And he has two books. He has one where he's got all his, like, guys who don't know what they're doing. And he's got one that has all the sharps, the guys who are really good at it. And so this old man who was the bookie, I guess, reached out to Dave. I think this is the first time this story's ever been told. He reached out to Dave because he wanted to monetize this thing that he, over time, realized when he looked at the, you know, all the data from his, his book of bad players. And what he found was, and this great segue with the lock thing, he saw that whenever I, 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 I the numbers might be off because this was several years ago, I'm just going, but it's generally speaking about, it's pretty accurate when I use these numbers. Whenever he saw 75% or more of the bad players playing a game one way, immediately, without even looking who the hell the other team was, they would fade it. And they would put, I want to say, I want to say it was like five units on taking the points and another one or two units on money line. And when we looked at the data, it was, I think the data that they reviewed was like a year. It was like a, a, enough of a sample size. You were making big money doing that. And it was the, the, ki the kicker that really got you going was that money line play on that other team because normally when there's a lock for them more often than not they're taking favorites i've noticed it's kind of weird so when you take the dog and you take them to win outright i mean the, the return it's is juicy. i mean it's insane and that that literally was something that i thought maybe he could like run with because he was based on fact and data we could prove the theory right but that never that never came to light i've never seen him offer anything a package or sell anything to do with that but then I see him, and I'm not going to go into specifics, but he's giving out these plays and, like, literally he's doing what you had spoken to. He's putting half on them. And, I mean, I have – it's horrifying for me when I when someone's my best friend and I see them literally make a play, uh, put out a play, and then it doesn't go and they try to erase it from social – like, that's how you know someone is not too – we call it Akamai – is not too <clears throat> keen about what they're doing. You don't just erase something on social media and it's gone. There are people who take screenshots. There are, I mean, there's so many ways that people can get that information that you deleted your tweet or whatever. But back when he was doing that, I don't think he realized that when he did that, people could see what he had posted earlier because some person had took a screenshot and then put it out there. 
for everyone to see. But he's done that a lot and it bothers me. And I, that's the ethical dilemma, right? I mean, how can you look at somebody favorably when they're out here literally taking money from people who can't afford to, to lose the money? You it know? looks worse that way too. You're better off just taking the loss. Yeah. Looks way worse. Never trust a, a never trust a guy who never shows his losses, you know? Right. And 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 so we have that situation. We already know who he is, right? The the, the jury's out. What what I didn't appreciate was the people who are seemingly good people, have a strong reputation, who publicly support the hobby, are willing to stand side by side, right? Like at the end of the day, we need to hold each other accountable and say, hey, if you don't have the best interest of the hobby in mind, I can't do a documentary with you. And I don't want my face and my reputation to be next to you because that's not a good look. Who knows who's going to watch this, this documentary? I can explain that to you in like <clears throat> 20 seconds. Do you want to know why they do that? Because they only care yeah, about followers too? No. And I'm, I'm telling you this is 100% truth. The reason why all these people are standing next to him and literally putting their rep on the line, basically vouching for him because he's with them, is because Dave is one of the most likable people you'll ever meet if you ever meet him in person. And he's not trying to purposely be a dick. He is, hmm. he has that thing. That's why that little, he's, a, I mean, let's be real. He's a short little, you know, fat chubby fucker, right? He pulls the smoking hot women. And it's all because of that thing that he emanates as a person, I don't know what you call it, game, uh, call it pheromones, call it uh, personality, whatever you want to call it. Charisma. He just has a thing where when people meet him, they want to be around him. Well, yeah. okay, so that might have been the case recently, but I've seen him before he really had money, back in like the, before 2010, before the Ravens hit 25 to 1 on his $10,000. He was doing it back then. But see, anybody who has like me, I was that his big come up? Was that his big money maker? That was his big come up, correct? And okay, so just by the way, when he said, "Oh, I got my student loan, I put it on black, I won, and I was off to the races gambling," that's a total crock of shit. Total crock of shit. He just that just sounds good, but that wasn't the case. Doesn't even sound believable though. The, what he would really do with his money, he would go gamble it on games, and sometimes he would win a bunch. Sometimes he was out. Like I, I, I remember when we first moved to Vegas, and I think we lived at Spanish Trails. It was like these uh, like little uh, townhomes. And I remember there was a game and he was like, man, I really need to win this game or I, I don't know what I'm gonna do. He lost. And I remember I, I, I remember it clearly because we were in the living room watching the game and the game was about to end and he, he knew that he had lost. He didn't say nothing. He just got up, walked to his room, closed the door real quietly and he went to sleep because that was it. I mean, and he's actually had that happen to him several times. Dave realized real quick while he was living here and live and I mean, cause he would hit in another episode, we can go out, we can talk about all the backstory to all that stuff. I'll give you all the information. I mean, this is like, this stuff is worth some money. You guys could probably charge for that episode, <clears throat> but there's, there's a method to his madness and it's very, it's very purposeful. It's very smart. Um, but it's, it really, he, he's, you know, like when he said he picked like some team to win the, the world series, he did, but he didn't just pick that one team. And so if there's eight, if there's, say there's eight teams that are, you know, one of them is going to win this, the, the, the world series, you know, when you play the, in football, 
any team can win a game, right? That's what I say, any given Sunday. Because you lose that one game when your quarterback is not feeling well, his back game, you're gone. But in a seven-game series, the better team usually wins. Usually. Because the inferior team just can't win four games before the better guys, right? Well, he would do the same thing with sports betting. And so when he's like, yeah, I picked uh, the Royals to win this year, and I picked this other team to win the next I won two years in a row. What he doesn't tell you is that, yeah, he picked the Royals, but he also put a ton of money on six other teams or five other teams. And as the season was going along and he kind of got the feel for the teams and how they were playing and how they looked like they would turn out, he would just keep stacking more and more and more and more and more and more money. And there's some other things that went on that I don't want to talk about on video because it's not cool to say those kind of things about your friend or your worst enemy. But Do you I, think... The only thing I got to say, and you guys just got to take this to heart, is I've never taken his plays and, and bet them. And that should say something, because don't you think that his best friend would be right there next to him make, playing, putting money on those plays if they, were, if they really truly were what they were presented to be? And I never hey, did. Are you a gambler? I am. Andrew makes some crazy plays. I, uh, I don't I, gamble. So, so I could, I, I don't you gamble. called me with my little orphan. I put myself through college playing poker. You know, I would put a lot of money sports bidding. I just would never follow what he was doing because, or his plays per se. I more so, <clears throat> that whole thing about fading the public when they go heavy on, a, on like a game, that is a thousand percent moneymaker. It happens all the time. Yeah. Literally just have, I'm a sports better. And he's the exact opposite. He's, he's a card guy. I'm a, I'm a, but I'm a gambler. I well, really... in poker you control more, man. With sport, so I play both. I get way more of a rush with sports betting, but poker you control. You're playing the person, right? I've probably lost seven tickets on blackjack, so I I gamble. Oh jeez, man. Yeah. Let me ask you. 25, guys. 25, 500 thousand all in. Lose, K okay, buy, go home. That's that's me. So I can't even get comps. We were just at the encore, and I and I had to pull him away. Literally, <laughs> we're gonna, probably, we're gonna be in the morning after the Red Sox Yankee game in Boston. When, guys, when Stan hit the ball out of the park. Are you so, guys going to be in Vegas in uh, January? We're, we're flying in for uh, the Mick Collective. Okay, do you know the date? We can buy me lunch. I'll be here. Done. Maybe even no. dinner, too, if you play your card. I, I'm here. I, see, the good thing about playing and losing all my money all these years, I have comps up the yin yang. So, I like the nine days we're here, we got free rooms at the Cosmo and the Palazzo because I lose Let's all my money. Is it true nobody wins at Aria? Is that a tr is that true? I don't know. Poker? Poker? Uh, anything. I'll oh, wait. Poker room is a bunch of sharks. And so if people casually play poker, the last place they should play is the Bellagio and Aria. I can say that. Huh. <laughs> for, for me, the way I've won in poker is this is my strategy. Friday, Saturday nights, don't drink, stay up all night, and, and take the money from the drunk people. So when I lived here, that was strategy. my job. Thursday, that was my job. Saturday, I would play poker from like eight or nine in the evening to like seven in the morning. Cause all the drunk dumb fucks are out there just literally going, here's my money. Literally throwing it away. It was shocking yeah. how bad it was they were. Fantastic, it put me through school. <laughs> Kate, uh, I want to, so, so what makes our podcast great is we do have this discourse, right? Like there's no right or wrong. You guys are listening, make your own decisions. Let's talk about NFTs real quick. Where do you guys stand on that, right? Because a lot of the themes that we've talked about, influencers moving <laughs> markets, is this an asset? Is it not? Where do you guys stand? I, I see a cheeky smile on both of you. So you, obviously you have some takes on this. We just oh, we man. just talked about that. So we were in we were in Philly uh, 
Friday? No, I'm from Philly too, Joe, by the way. We were were in Philly Thursday night and we were talking about NFTs and I think Ethereum was like under 3000 at that time. And my one buddy that was in the room was telling us how great NFTs are, how this, how that, no knock at all. But what I was telling Sean was, is I think if you're going to go, if you believe in NFTs, right? If you are a believer, you want to know what the safest play in the world is? Just buy Ethereum, right? (laughs) If NFTs go up, right? This is just logical. I would think that everyone would know this. And it was at what, 26, 27, 2800. Um, we have a messed up skew of perception on money, <laughs> right? To make a thousand, to make 500 or 600 and having to wait two or three or four months, you know, you can just buy a card one day and then go sell it at a show the next day and make five or six or $700, right? So why park all that money have to risk 2,800 to do that? Okay. But NFTs, I don't, I've never owned one. I've never bought one. Uh, and yeah, I, I buy them. I got to admit. So I'm, I, you know, uh, uh, Top Shot. Top Shot. Yeah. We know uh, it all too well. We've lost the games fans for a minute. I, yeah. I, 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 you know, participate in the drops and I, you know, get my name thrown in the, the hat and I buy that stuff. But I mean, I, there's guys out there and I think that's, more of a, that, that's more of a space that's, that's influenced by influencers. Yeah. Like, it's very I mean, volatile. It's, but, but, but Sean, what, what do you like, think about this? What, what makes NFTs great? Uh, because it, the influencers do influence. But you can see what each influencer holds, in theory, yeah. because you can look up their wallet. Yeah. I wanted to add that caveat. Yeah. You know, but I it's just not a tangible. That's, I don't that's like it. Something that's not that's tangible. It. Remember how you, you know took my cards? And you right? said, I'm not holding my real estate. Look at this. I'm not this holding is it the right title. here. Right? That's, that's a grandfather way of thinking. Asset. That's just older guys. I, I, I'm, I'm 25, but my dad is old school. I'm Italian. I kind of grew up in a similar household. We're all yelling at each other, but we're not yelling. We're just talking, right? Italians I'm not yelling. always yell. What we're are you talking, talking about, Joel? Yeah. We're just talking. We're not yelling, you know? So something that I can physically hold and say, look, this is my Luka Doncic rookie autograph, and this is what Do it you- is, and I'm holding it. Right. Joe, do you use PWCC or only all or any of those? I actually don't. I don't use uh, any. So I know Jesse them decent. Uh, I'm one of their top 10% customers. Yeah, he, he would know PWCC better than um, I would. Those guys are. Oh, Sean is a PWCCE. We need, we need to get that t- sticker slapped. Top 10%. <laughs> You know, I, I, I'll, once we get off of the podcast, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you guys a couple of things I know about um, that grading thingy. But um, we have a buddy that's got a lot in their lot. And okay, so one thing I heard about NFTs, and this could be a, a, a rumor, but there are people who have portfolios, wallets that people can see, and those are those are their manipulative buys, and then they have their actual buys in a different portfolio that's not in their name. Mm-hmm. And I'm just putting this out there; it happens a lot. It happens, and a it lot. scares me. And that's you know one of the, again the dirty little the dirty little secrets that I didn't want to talk about because I don't know you know what's PC about talking about that but that's one reason why I won't go out of my lane and and do the NFTs because there's so much manipulation going on there it's freaking scary. Stick to what you're stick to what you're good at. You're telling me you're gonna buy something and 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 then all of a sudden right? Let's say your account gets hacked, gone, poof, see ya, right? I mean that's just scary. And I'm 25. I think that that's scary. I don't want to have to log on to my phone to see my portfolio. I want to go to my card case, go to a, go to a safe, go somewhere and see what I have right then and there. And if someone wants to buy it, you come, you see me kind of similar to what you said with the Dave thing, gave him the cash, gave him the item, 
it's done. There is no take backs. There is no, you're going to log into my account. You're going to scam. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. I mean, that's why you see NFTs. You see these NFTs that are, you know, they're going up, going up, going up, and then some drop. And then all of a sudden you see one NFT that jumped, what, 500,000% and there was no talk about it. Well, there, there was talk about it. You just didn't. For all those people that are watching this, if you don't think that there's all this crazy, eye-opening, shocking, jaw-dropping stuff happening then you're not behind the scenes, life. then you're not living you're not in living a, you're not, Yeah, you're living in some you're, fantasy world. You're not accepting the fact and, that and, there's manipulation. And that's everywhere. why they always tell people, hey, you know what? You get into this hobby. Do not have an expectation. Okay. Buy things assuming that one day they could be worth nothing. Mm-hmm. But as long as you enjoy what you buy and you, and you appreciate it for what it is and not what it's worth then you've already won. And so they should always, always be cognizant of that because again, the manipulation, I have, I am privy to it. I see, I mean, they talk to me about it, I guess, cause they trust me and they know I won't say nothing, but I just, I'm standing there. I'm like, dude, I don't know if you think I'm like unethical like you, but that's fucking horrible. You know, I'm thinking to myself like, Jesus Christ. Like I wouldn't even, if I was doing it, I wouldn't tell a soul. When you diversify and you talk to so many different people and you're getting all these outside perspectives, you know, I always like to say that I like to talk to as many people as possible. Right. And I treat everyone with the same respect that I want to be given. Right. And you're getting all these life is about taking bits and some people are going to like this and some people aren't. Life is about taking a little bit of what. Sean says a little bit of what I say, a little bit what you say and you say, and you kind of just put it all things that work for you. Right. And figure out, take it with a grain of salt, figure out what you particularly like about that. You're not stealing someone's ideas. You're just hearing other opinions and then you're putting it in. You're assimilating a little piece of it. Like the Borg. It happens. Everything. It's like, it's like Jerry West. He's the logo of the NBA who copied Jerry West. Pistol Pete copied Jerry West. Magic Johnson copied Pistol Pete, John Stockton, and Who's it goes that? on and on and on and that on. That on. That's way past my, I mean, I'm not 80 years old, bro. Pistol Cage. Pete was one of my favorite players. There, 1971, total 90 minutes. million dollar basketball player to ever sign. Jen, this was fun, you, man. You've been more than generous with your time. We've never done kind of like a, a interview, a conversation like this. I think there's a ton of value. I think this is one of those where people are probably going to have to go back and listen to twice because there's so many nuggets. Sean, Joe, I appreciate you guys. We're going to see you in Vegas. Mint Collective is, Kate, what are the, the dates? I promise you I'll be there. Just like a couple of weeks ahead of time. I can't be here for nine days like this trip. I might lose all my cards and all my money before we leave. I won't allow them to do there that. There won't be anything left for me to sell in Dallas, me being here nine days, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, that's great. It's going to be like I, so guys. Yeah, I, I, I like this because it gives us a platform to like really just kind of throw everything in the middle and kind of see – and listen and, and and get more perspectives, you know, and, and try to figure this thing out. Because anybody who says they got to figure it out is lying. Hey, January, guys York, listening. So just so you know, we'll be up in New York quite a bit. When, when are you coming? Are you coming this uh, week? I officially move in December 1st. So we're going to be going to the I'll, Philly I'll be show. There, there. I'll be there shortly. There. <laughs> yeah, he'll be, he'll be coming in pretty frequently. It's crazy to hear you're moving to New York. Most people are moving out of New York. You're moving to New York. There's I mean, a lot smart. of value there, to be honest. You, there it is. The best, best market I've lived in Los Angeles. I've lived in Miami. I've lived now I'm going to be living in New York, but I see so much value there because everyone is leaving and saying, Oh, there's value elsewhere. I mean, how over so many years that that was the best city that, you know, everything's at a discount right now. So Tulum, I don't Tulum, know. Mexico is better. Guarantee it. You'll have way more fun in Tulum. I can't believe you're actually getting good, good signal in Mexico. The one thing that I realized when I'm there. <laughs> 
And I can't watch Netflix because the damn thing's always buffering. I was losing my mind. I'm like, I'm not coming back here just because they have bad freaking like that. It's, it's true. It's actually true. One of uh, we were doing a Sunday morning show, and halfway through the show, uh, the municipality, the government, shut down power for the entire day. No lie, just just shut down power. They're like, we'll turn it back on at 5 p.m. This was 10 a.m. Yeah, not trying to live. I'll visit. I just I'll I don't visit. know if I can handle that too well. It was a lot. I was stressed. I was really upset that whole day. All right, Luca Nation, we love you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. A lot of banter. Sean, Joe, appreciate you guys. You've been more than generous with your time. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Collective, January 28th through 30th in Vegas. We're going to be there hosting a panel with some big wigs. This episode of Luca's Tigers and Bronze was brought to you by Hybrid Grading Approach. Take it from someone who has personally submitted thousands of cards for grading. HGA slabs just hit different. They're top of the line and color-coordinated to match the card itself. The aesthetics are unrivaled in the industry. When paired with the ease of submission and the transparency of the pricing model, HGA stands alone as the best choice for grading your cards. I believe that once you try them out, you will agree. Thanks for listening, Luca Nation. Thank you for spending some time with us on another episode of the Luca's Tigers and Bronze Oh My podcast. Um, do us a favor and like, subscribe, Ah, you know what? Don't just like and subscribe. Everybody does that. If you like us, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your enemies, tell everybody. And uh, we hope you got something from spending some time with us today, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.